thought he just was a trooper. Um, it's the Saturday, and uh, those of you who are going, you know, I don't think I can walk 6K, I don't, I, I don't have time to walk 6K, you can still contribute, participate. Um, World Vision, just so you're aware, uh, there's no organization that does more for clean water in Africa than World Vision. They just impact all kinds of lives in this area, and uh, it, it, remarkable work. Here's, here's just a quick little fact. We, we've already learned that in the developing world, average distance to fresh water is six kilometers. That's why we're doing the 6K, K walk slash run. Um, 6K, right? Can you imagine that every, every day? Like that's about an hour and a half walk that you're making to go and get some fresh water uh, or, or doing a return trip. Um, $50, a $50 donation towards World Vision will actually provide water for one individual for their lifetime. Basically, it's, it's providing a clean water source that will be there and exist there indefinitely, cared for, and will provide water for a lifetime. So if you want to contribute, go onto our website, click on the, the Walk for Water, uh, and, and you can dire you're directly donating uh, to World Vision. You can do it. Uh, pick somebody, a hillsider that you know that's on there. Pick them, support their water walk, and uh, a great way to, to, to bless the world. Uh, Hillside's vision is to bring the, the healing, hope, and compassion of Jesus to the Tri-Cities and beyond. And this is a way we can actually do that. We can show God's compassion in a very practical way. We take for granted here fresh water. Countering, what's that? Do we know who's going to walk? Anybody, if you're going to walk, run, you want, you want to stand up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm standing. Sponsor me if you're in, in and out, you know. Pick me, pick me. So there's room for more of us to go, but feel free to, 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 to uh, sign up and, and give money. We're meeting, by the way, at Monday Park, uh, sorry, the Tapestry Church on Austin Avenue, down the other end. Details are all in your bulletin. That's, you want to be there at about quarter to 11, and then we'll walk, do our walk through Monday Park, and uh, afterwards there's refreshments there for those who've participated. So uh, it's going to be really good. You'll be able to stay on and have lunch. Give that, give that team a hand that's doing that. Uh, again, last day tomorrow. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I've gone far distances to go to great conferences. We're having a great conference right here in the hood, right here at Hillside, and it's going to be a fantastic uh, couple of days. Really sense that for some of you, this is going to be a, a very meaningful conference. So just so you know, by end of day tomorrow, if you want to come to the Encounter God's Presence weekend, you need to let us know. So uh, that's kind of your last call on that one. I want to invite, uh, we're in, in a series on Jonah. If you want to turn your Bibles, if you have one, to Jonah chapter 1, the last verse, verse 17. And Sanya Jacob's going to come on up here, and uh, she's going to read it for us. Can I just say one quick word? Sanya just graduated from university. Isn't that great? And check this out. She got accepted in med school at UBC. <laughs> Some of you are already thinking, I, I don't have a doctor. I haven't been able to find a doctor. Just be patient. We'll, we'll have another one in the house. And uh, good. Really great. All right. Why don't we uh, stand together uh, just for the reading of God's word. 
But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, and his Lord his God, he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep and into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All, all your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waves threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thanks, Anne. Please have a seat. Well, we're in this uh, little book in the Old Testament looking at the character of Jonah. And I think one of the problems with Jonah is a lot of us who, who are familiar with the story actually think we know it, but we probably don't, not really. Uh, a lot of people relate Jonah to one other character, Jonah and the whale, right? We, we, we think about the, the whale. That, uh, in fact, the story doesn't actually mention a whale. It uh, mentions a great fish, but we'll get to that later on. We've already looked at the first chapter where Jonah hears from God to go to Nineveh, this strange foreign city, and bring to them a message of God's love. Jonah doesn't want to go, and so instead he gets on a ship of Tarshish, going in the opposite direction as far as you could go. So God sends a storm, and the storm is, is buffeting this ship. The ship is going down. Jonah says, throw me over the side. And these pagan sailors get converted, and they start worshiping the God of Israel. Uh, Jonah goes over the side of the boat. The storm suddenly stops. Jonah's going into the sea, and he thinks he's going to die. We, we left him there, and so we're going to pick up the story at this point. I, I want to ask you, pretend for a moment like you've never heard this story before. So imagine what it would be like for you to hear this for the first time. Jonah sinking into the sea, but the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow him, and then Jonah spends three days and three nights in that fish. Uh, that word appointed uh, or commissioned is a governing word. It's the kind of word a king used, would use to, to appoint or direct a, a, an ambassador or a, um, a messenger or something like that. It, it, it's something you do to a person, but here it's, it's used of a fish. I mean, picture it. God, God saying, hey, fish. The fish saying, yes, Lord. God saying, go, go pick up Jonah. And now this is important. Swallow, don't chew. <laughs> and, and the rest of the instructions you'll get on a, on a need-to-know basis, right? The fish says, okay, Lord. God, God appoints this fish. It's a really odd story. Now, the whole idea of a fish swallowing a guy and having the guy live inside it for a while is is kind of hard to believe. There's, there's all kinds of people who've, 
who've questioned or, or written off the book of Jonah because of this kind of wild and almost absurd part of the story. And, and here's the thing. From the best marine science knowledge that we have, uh, they, they haven't discovered in our world the kind of fish where this could actually happen, where it could be possible. And the, and the point of Jonah is not that there's really a, a fish like that where a human being could survive for three days. The, the point is it'd be a miracle. So the real question is, are miracles possible? And our, our, at the heart of our Christian faith is the claim that there is a God and that he's an almighty and powerful God and that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And, and this happened in history and God has revealed himself uniquely in the Bible. So to God, nothing's impossible. If, if he can raise Jesus from the dead, I think he can kind of keep a guy alive in storage in a fish for three days. Regardless, I'd encourage us not to get hung up over, over these kind of things, such as what genre you put this story in, or, or what kind of fish it was, or other th- ideas like that, because you'll miss the whole point of the, the writer. Because in this book, the point really is a spiritual message that God is up to something great. We, we, we saw this a couple weeks ago. The, the primary word associated with God in this story is that word great. It starts by saying to Jonah, I want you to go to that great city of Nineveh because it turns out God has a great heart and he has a heart for that city. Then Jonah runs the other way. So, so we, we find out that God sends a great storm or a great wind that produces a great storm. And these pagan sailors are converted through, where it's described, a great fear. Then God appoints a fish for Jonah. Can anyone guess what adjective is used to describe that fish? It's a great fish. God is doing something great in the story. Jonah, on the other hand, uh, he messes things up about in every way that he can. If the, if the main word for God in this story is great, probably the, the main word that, that keeps popping up describing Jonah is this word down. Jonah is going down. God says, go to Nineveh, and Jonah goes down to Joppa, this, this port city. Then he goes in a ship down to Tarshish. And then, then in the ship, he, he goes down into the hold, to the bottom where he's found sleeping. Uh, then he goes down into the water in the storm. Then, then he goes down into the, into the fish. Jonah hits bottom. You, you, you see, for Hebrews, for Israelites, the, you couldn't get any lower than going down into the sea. The sea for them was chaos. It, it was a place of death, a place of great fear. So what does Jonah do in the fish? He prays. From the guts of the fish, he, he prays to the Lord. Uh, he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my, my cry. Jonah hits bottom in all kinds of ways. Physically, he's praying from the guts of a fish emotionally he says in my distress i called and spiritually he's he's crying out from the depths of the the realms of the dead from the the depths of the grave i called here's jonah praying from the the guts of a fish we kind of get the idea that jonah hadn't been praying for a while uh he he'd gotten this word to go to nineveh he goes down to joppa he doesn't pray about going to joppa He, he gets on a ship of tarshish he doesn't pray about the ship he's not talking to god at all, not, at least not honestly, until he ends up in the sea in a fish. 
Now, why do you think Jonah prayed in the fish? He had nothing better to do. <laughs> he actually had some time on his hands. Um, I once, uh, I'm going to make a long story short, I once got trapped in an elevator by myself for an hour. By the way, I didn't know it was going to be an hour. I thought it might be a lifetime. I, th I thought this is where I'm going to die. Uh, and I'll tell you this, an hour is a long time to be trapped by yourself in an elevator. And I'll tell you what I did. I prayed. <laughs> I prayed a lot. So it doesn't surprise me that this is what Jonah is doing. Uh, what else do you do in a fish? He had nowhere else to turn. I'll, I'll let you know kind of a humbling thing. You know why in our world I, we have a hard time praying? We're so busy doing other things. We've got so much to do. We have so many crutches. We have so many screens that we can turn on, so much noise that we can produce and that, that keeps our minds thinking from, or facing what's really going on. We just have other things to do. We live distracted lives. I, th I think that's kind of our day. God brings Jonah, he brings him down, 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 down to a place of desperation in a fish in the sea. He turns to God because he has nowhere else to turn. The, the, you know, the whole first chapter of Jonah is, is all about human action. You got Jonah, you know, running away. You got Jonah making plans, Jonah going placing, places. It's all Jonah all the time, and it's a disaster. And then the storm hits, and, and, and Jonah's story kind of screeches to a halt. In the second chapter of Jonah, there, there's literally no action at all. It's, it's, it's all prayer. And, and then the good stuff starts to happen. Jonah goes as low as, as you can go. That's the point of the story to the Israelites. Anyone remember, uh, I loved camp songs growing up. There's an old one, uh, you might remember, The Hole in the Bottom of the Sea. Anyone, anyone know that one? Okay, let's sing it together. You know, just, no, actually, it's, it's actually got complicated lyrics. I, I can't, I'll, I'll stumble over it, but one of the lines, there's a wing on the flea, on the fly, on a limb, on a log, in a hole in the bottom of the sea, Right? Well, you could do this with the Jonah story. You could go, there's a man in the guts of a fish in a storm by a boat in the bottom of the sea. And in the bottom of the sea, Jonah discovers something. He discovers God. Turns out God's in the bottom, and it's all about hitting bottom. This is part of his prayer. Listen to this. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounding me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. He's good with visual pictures here. I can just picture that. When my life was ebbing away, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayers rose to you. You know, Jonah came to realize that, that hitting bottom, what looks so bad, you know, going through the wind and the storm, getting, getting thrown overboard was actually the best thing that ever happened to him because it brought him back to God. And God was doing great things. Let me ask you this. Any of you ever been in over your head in life? Like, you know what I'm saying? You ever been there? Out of your depths? Be beyond, beyond? Uh, what do you do? You pray. Is it your own fault? Pray anyway. Have, have you not been living the kind of life that, that you think God wants you to live? Pray anyway. 
Are, are you concerned? Because the honest truth is, right now, even if you were to pray, your motives are, are kind of mixed up, and, and, and you're really more selfishly concerned about your own well-being than you are God's will. Pray anyway. Folks, if you could take home one line from this message this morning, God is never closer to you than a prayer way. God is, is never more than a prayer way. He's that close. One of, the, one of the amazing things about God is just he's so gracious. He's so humble. He, even when Jonah, you or I come to him and we, we hit bottom and we go to him because we have no other place to go, God responds with, come to me, come to me, come to me. Some of you need to hear that today, See, hear that invitation from God. That was what, what Stephen prayed for us this morning. Come to me. Jonah does, and, and, and Jonah hears God. God hears Jonah, and Jonah is delivered. Now, again, this is an odd book, and what happens next in the story is actually so, so goofy that if it wasn't in the Bible, we probably wouldn't address it. But Jonah gets delivered on the third day. The third day is actually kind of a big deal in the Old Testament. Um, the, uh, in, in the Old Testament, often when there was a dramatic rescue on the part of God, it had come on the third day. And, and so a reader would expect in a normal Bible story that Jonah is going to get some sort of dramatic rescue event, uh, maybe a visitation from the, 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 the angel Gabriel, or a you know, chariot of fire swooping in and, and, and flying him home or getting beamed up through a prayer or something like that. That doesn't happen. Not, not in this story. Jonah 2.10, it says, and the Lord commanded, commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Uh, is it just me or is that like TMI, a little bit too much detail, a little bit too much information here? You know, if you, if you wonder why the English translators chose, didn't cho choose a more dignified or, or churchier word than vomit. It's because in the original text, the Hebrew word is even more graphic than that word. The writer wants to make sure the reader gets this. Jonah didn't get dropped off by an angel. The fish spewed, the fish hurled, he upchucked, he had a protein spill. He, <laughs> shall I go on? He tossed his cookies. He lost his lunch. I love this one I heard. He went for a ride on the regurgiton. I like how one author puts it. Jonah ends up on the shore, not as a tragic figure covered with suffering, not as a heroic figure covered with glory, but a ridiculous figure covered with shrimp cocktail and tuna tartare or whatever else was in the guts of that fish. And, and, and there's a, actually a reason why the writer says this, and, it, and it's kind of important. You wouldn't think so. You know, the most basic way that you can divide most stories into two, two basic categories, tragedy, comedy. Tragedy is, is where, you know, joy loses, life loses, hope loses. Comedy is joy wins, life, life wins, hope, hope wins, right? N now, what is Jonah? Is he a tragedy or a comedy? What do you think? He's actually a comedy. Jonah keeps going down, but all these funny things keep happening to him. Jonah, who ought to be the hero of the story, told by God to go east, he goes west. You know, the prophet Jonah, who know, ought to know better, he, he thinks he can get away from God by, by sailing to Tarshish. A Gentile captain is calling the, the prophet, the God-man, to pray. 
pagan sailors who, who in the ancient world weren't known for their piety, they get converted to the God of Israel. Jonah thinks he's going down, and God sends a fish to pick him, up, pick him up. And then in case anybody hasn't got it yet, what genre this is, the writer throws in a regurgitation scene. The, the point of all of this is Jonah thought he was dead, that this is the worst. To Israel, this is the worst. To end up in the, in the sea, to end up running away, depths of the grave, going down. Then it turns out that when human beings are going down, God is up to something great. You know, from, from, from God's perspective, death and, and, and the grave aren't a problem at all. Even, even human stubbornness and obstinance and, and rebellion isn't a problem. God laughs at it all. God laughs at death. He laughs at the grave. Jonah, we got Jonah getting vomited onto the shore. What a scene. You know, folks, one, one day I think we're all going to understand joy wins. That's Jonah's story. Jonah is a joy book. It's, it's comic in the most wonderful, broad sense of that word because there's another character between every line in this book. Jonah, we're told, is, is from the, the town of Gath-Hefer, which is just a few miles away from, from Nazareth. You know, anyone remember another prophet who came from Nazareth? Jonah was asleep in the boat in a storm when, when everybody else is, is panicking. They, they wake him up, and by his actions... The storm is stilled. Remind you of anybody else in the Bible? Jonah's name, get this, means the dove, which is a name that means was given to a beloved one. Anyone remember a man who went down into the water and came up out of the water and a dove descended and a voice said, this is my beloved son? You know, Jesus, he said toward the end of his life, he said, he was going to give this sorry and tragic world a sign. And he called it the sign of, of Jonah. And, and Jesus said, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then comes the third day. See, the message of Jonah is really a foretaste of the victory of Jesus who comes to meet us in the lowest place. And, and says to us, sin loses, death loses, you know, so sorrow loses, even lostness loses, sadness loses, joy, life wins. As the Apostle Paul triumphantly declares, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? God gets the last laugh, right? That's the story of Jonah. Now, I find this fascinating. Because of persecution, for the early followers of Jesus, the early church in, in Rome used to meet in a place called the catacombs. You know what the catacombs were? They were underground tombs, basically. They were burial places. The early church used to meet there for worship. Not, not much of a church growth strategy, if you ask me, right? Come meet where the dead people are, right? But they did it because of persecution. They met in this hidden, secretive place. You've heard the, the phrase, the, the underground church? This is where it came from. Do you know that the first art that was inspired by Jesus wasn't art that was displayed in great cathedrals. It was art that was drawn and etched and carved in tombs, in these hidden catacombs, 
If you were to go to Rome, you can actually go and visit these mosaics, these pictures, these frescoes. But get this, the Old Testament figure found drawn in the catacombs more than anyone else from the Old Testament. It's, it's not, you know, Moses the, the lawgiver. It's, it's not David the great king. It's, it's, it's not um, uh, Abraham the father of all people. You know who it was? Jonah. Jonah's depicted more than any other figure from the Old Testament, more than anybody else. Why? Because they got the joke. They got the joke. Resurrection is coming. Deliverance is coming. The third day is coming. Jesus is all over this this book of Jonah, and it's this high, holy, and comic book where death is mocked. I I was thinking about this when resurrection, when it comes one day. This is our hope. This is why we live. What, what if when the dead in Christ will rise, which we believe will happen one day, what if, you know, when, when disease and aging, when, when cancer and heart disease, when, when AIDS and dementia have done their worst, and we all go down into the grave and, and, and then come back the other side, what if in that day life then it's just so good. Our, our healing and redemption, so complete. Uh, our, our new bodies are, are so perfect. The, the community of the saints is, is so rich. And our fellowship with God in that day is so sweet going on into eternity that we look at each other and say, this is what I was afraid of? <laughs> I was afraid of death? I mean, it's nothing at all. I thought it was going to be so bad. It, it's a joke. It has has no power before God. It's it's just a door to life. Folks, the early church, they had that kind of vision. And the the book of Jonah points us to that kind of joy. Jonah hits bottom, and their God is greater than ever before. So what do we do now? When we're in trouble, we pray. You know, what? When we're in over our heads, we pray. You know, when we hit bottom, where do we look? We look up. There's a, a Jonah I know named Dale. Um, some of you might know Dale. He actually came and spoke at Hillside quite a number of years ago. But Dale, uh, years ago, was an executive pastor, a very successful pastor of a large church in Southern California. And uh, for years, he was what he would describe as a ship of Tarshish. And that ship for him, I think, might have been uh, power and ambition and success. Uh, He was an incredibly influential man and well thought of, well regarded, and held a lot of power in in not just his tribe, but even across the country. And one aspect of his kind of flight from God was, uh, you know, he just kind of went down and down and down, and pornography became, you know, his his little enslavement. And and one day, he decided to take it a further step than just looking at porn on his computer or on his, uh, in his magazines. He, uh, on his way home from a church meeting, he went into a certain part of town and picked up a prostitute. Only she wasn't a prostitute. She was a police officer. And I'll never remember, I'll never forget, actually, Dale telling me uh, how in that particular... <laughs> particular night, how he was taken to this cheap motel room, 
and he was sitting on a, the dirty floor, handcuffed, with a bunch of other men who'd been arrested as well, as they waited to, to be taken in a paddy wagon off to the police station to be charged. That was hitting bottom for him. In fact, his life kind of fell apart. Dale lost his job. Uh, he almost lost his marriage. Dale was as desperate, desperate as he'd ever been in his entire life. And for the first time in many years, he prayed. The most raw, honest prayer you can imagine. And you know what? His story is God met him there. It was when he was at the bottom, he, he says, God became real to me in a way I, he was never real before. Dale went on to form a, an organization to help struggling pastors, uh, play, a group called uh, Clergy Recovery Network. And, and since then, Dale has helped and counseled hundreds and hundreds of pastors, struggling pastors, pastors who, who uh, are going in the wrong way or, or, or burning out or you name it, and, and he's helped them. This, this Jonah, Dale, who'd, who'd been such a, a success, was so grateful to God that he brought him all the way down because there he met God and he learned that the dangerous place wasn't at the bottom. The dangerous place for him was at the top where he thought he could do life on his own. When I was prepping for this morning, I, I thought of a hillsider who has, has had a Jonah-like experience and I've asked him if he'd be willing to speak this morning and, and he said yes. So Kevin Ballard Kevin is one of our youth workers here at Hillside uh, and uh, has been part of this church on and off over the years. Great to have you back. He's Kevin and, and Dorothy's son. Kevin and Dorothy's son? Uh, Bill. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bill's only known by his sons now. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Like, Jason's a way bigger dealer than Bill yeah. is. So. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. So, um, Kevin, your, your life took a dramatic turn five years ago. Can you just tell us? In a nutshell, what yeah. happened? Um, so five years ago, I was in Regina, of all places, and I was in a hotel, and one morning I actually woke up in the hospital, and I found out that I'd had a grand mal seizure, and um, after doing some scans, they found that there was a tumor in the back of my brain that would have to be removed. Uh, so they told me to come back home because the surgeons there aren't as good as here. Um, yeah, Regina's hospitals aren't the same. Anyway, um, a few months later, got the tumor out and was told that it was aggressive. We were praying that it was going to be benign and move on with life, but unfortunately, we were told that it was aggressive. Um, so we didn't really know exactly what it was going to be. Uh, we ended up, my wife and Nikki, we were in the oncologist's office being told what the plan was. We're like, okay, you're going to do radiation, you're going to do chemotherapy, all these things. And we're asking, well, what do I have? All we know is aggressive. We haven't told what kind of cancer it is. And by the oncologist, do not have personalities. So this guy's face went blank when we asked him what my diagnosis was. And he's just like, oh, no one's told you yet. I'm like, no, we just know it's aggressive. And he's like, okay, well, unfortunately, you have glioblastoma which is stage four brain cancer, not exactly curable, it's the most deadly cancer. And uh, honestly, it's about 18 months is the average lifespan for those patients. How did you feel in that moment? Um, a lot of things. <laughs> um, mostly just, the, like, one was the wind was just kind of taken out of us. We were 
so caught off guard. We weren't expecting such a harsh reality. Um, my first thought was, oh, I have to tell my family. So I'm going back to my phone, texting my parents, my brothers and sister-in-laws, saying, hey, we need to meet at mom and dad's house. It's important. Don't bring the kids. We just need to talk. Um, so later that day, we had to go through the conversation of explaining to my family what uh, was going on. Fortunately, I'm in a family of pastors. So at uh, a <laughs> time where all of a sudden from being a heavy time of explaining the news to them, explaining exactly what's going to happen, turned into a time of worship and prayer. And as we're worshiping, I'm trying to sort through and kind of fighting with God, really, what the heck is happening? And I felt that I had to make a choice at that moment. Um, one, realizing I can't do it alone. This is something, I can't just fight cancer. You can't just like say, okay, I'm going to beat it. I think, God, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you completely that I can't do any of this myself. And I just remember being on my knees for the first time in a while, really saying, Jesus, this is on, up to you. I trust you. I'm going to follow you through this and whatever happens in your hands. Kevin, this didn't, when, when this happened, when you got this diagnosis, you know, had the seizure, what, what was your life like in that season before? You described it to me. Yeah, it was a pretty rough season. Um, I had been laid off from my job a few months like before that. Uh, Life wasn't great. I used to be a youth leader here a long time ago, and I kind of stepped away from things. I kind of stepped away from God. I just didn't really feel that life was better with God. I decided, like, you know what? My life wasn't great. I wasn't happy. God, I am tried, and I don't feel like it's making things better. So I left God behind, left church behind, started getting more depressed, started falling further into depression as time went on. Um, my marriage wasn't great. Things were not the best in life. And uh, probably about as low as it could get from that point. Yeah, sure. Um, you're still with us, and we're really glad about that because the 18-month prognosis, obviously, you've gone well past that. <laughs> What's your journey been like uh, in terms of what has God taught you through this? What, you, you had that moment where you kind of surrendered, said, I trust God in the, in the doctor's office or with your family. Um, where have you gone since then? Since then, it's literally just been a journey of experiencing God's love. Uh, a couple weeks after the diagnosis, uh, my little brother asked me if, he'd be, if I'd be okay praying with a couple of friends of his that do healing prayer. And I'm like, okay, sure, we'll do that. As we're praying, they're like, okay, ask God for a word. And uh, in that time, I just feel like God's saying that he's not done with me yet. Part of it was because I felt they hadn't used me yet because I was not in good fits in life. But, yeah, I just really had this piece that God wasn't done yet. Um, from the medical side, when they did a biopsy on my brain to see what was going on with the cancer, that's what told me I had the glioblastoma. I was told they're going to do one more biopsy. And they told me it won't change anything. They'll do a third one, but it'll still be the same cancer. Don't expect anything better. Um, but then my doctor told me that, it's just Kevin Slater, so that's a great doctor to have. Um, he told me I should talk to my oncologist. 
And so we called him, he was like, well, one, why are you calling? Like, we want to know what this third biopsy said. He's like, okay, well, it is different. It is a stage three cancer. I'm not trying to pronounce it because I get it wrong every time. Um, but just from my 18 month lifespan, we're told, one to three to four years. So we're overjoyed, really. This is the best news ever. He didn't get that. He didn't understand why we think that's a big deal. But for me, even though it still was, okay, it's still a serious cancer, it's still something that is probably going to take my life one day. But it's like, okay, yes, God does love me. God does have a purpose in this. And so just going through it, just experiencing so many, like literally I have so many stories of God's love in very specific ways throughout this. To the point where I understood God as a father in a way that I could never experience otherwise. Feeling his closeness, feeling his presence, feeling his arms around me just is a gift that I literally was given in a way that I wouldn't only really ask for. But uh, I've not been given healing from cancers. I've just been a five-year journey. I've had times of remission, times where I came back. And but what I've really been given healing for is healing in myself, healing my, with my relationship with God, healing in my emotions and things that I probably wouldn't have dealt with if I wasn't forced to because I kept pushing off, but God basically put me in a, allowed me to be put in a place that forced me to decide what I really believe, forced me to fight to decide what I really want. Kevin, you, uh, I, I, I will never forget the moment when you shared with me few months ago over coffee, that um, you actually said these words, I, and I, I don't know that I've heard a cancer person say this before, somebody who's wrestling with cancer, you actually said, I'm actually thankful for cancer. Can you, can you say that, that you're, you're oh. actually thankful that this is, I Hands mean. Down. Like, I, it is weird saying that I'm thankful for cancer because that's not something people should say. You shouldn't be thankful that you're told that you're probably going to die at some point from this. Um, but having to put my trust in God and then him actually showing his love for me, providing for me and my wife Nikki, something I, could, I wouldn't take back. I wouldn't want to experience going without God's love in that way. Amen. Um, let's, uh, let's say a quick word for a prayer for our brother. He's still, the journey continues. Uh, he's just finished a two-year chemotherapy. He's, he's off for three months. He's had an MRI last week. He finds out in two weeks whether there's, the cancer's growing or not. So let's, let's pause. Just let's, uh, let's bless this guy. Thank you for sharing today. Really good. Lord Jesus, I want to ask that you might just pour out your, continue to, to reveal your great love to our friend and that he might be aware just that you have purpose for him for however many days he's here on this earth. Lord, that he's your child, your beloved, his, your beloved one. And uh, God, we, we pray. We pray boldly that you might heal our brother. But uh, we also say whatever your will is, God, we believe you're good. And I pray you might continue to use him powerfully. Uh, bless him and Nikki as they continue on this journey. Give them courage and strength, perseverance, Lord. We pray your blessing upon them profoundly. In Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thanks, brother. Okay, let's give him a hand, shall we? <laughs> Kevin, that's a, 
I remember getting the news five years ago from your parents by way of email that, uh, that this was the diagnosis. And we prayed like mad. And we were praying probably more for the cancer than we were for anything else. But look what God did. Far better than, than healing cancer. Far better. Um, he met God there. Yeah, it turns out, uh, you know, when I think about it, I know a lot of Jonah's. I actually do. I, I've been a Jonah myself. The consistent story is, though, of the consistent, the power of hitting bottom and discovering the great things God is capable of. I, I think of a friend who, whose belly of the fish experience was infertility and how God used that in that woman's life to, to, to cause her to reach out to God like she'd never reached out to him before. And she was asking, just give me a baby, Lord. And instead of God giving her a baby, God give her, gave her life and vitality and abundance in a way she'd never experienced before. And this, this, this woman, she now, God did eventually, years later, got a baby. But she says, Jesus is the better thing that God gave me than the baby. Amazingly. Isn't that awesome? I think of the confession a friend of mine shared with me a couple of weeks ago where, over lunch where he told me his this is a smart, smart guy, highly educated person, all kinds of degrees after his name. And he said that he thought he could kind of outsmart life until alcohol outsmarted him. And he went down that road of alcoholism as it took over more and more of his experience. And uh, he finally, in desperation, went to a meeting where he found out, and, and, and he would refuse to say it for the longest time, but he finally got to the place where he says, hi, my name is Bob, and I'm an alcoholic. And how God met him there. He went down as far as he could go, and to his great surprise, getting down to the bottom was the greatest thing that ever happened to him because God was there. He met God, and God was doing something great. I think of spending my time with my dad in, in the last two weeks of my dad's life, and his cancer took him to the bottom physically. As so we journeyed that out, I saw in my dad a confident and, and growing, vigorous hope in the God who had saved him, and he went into death with holding high the promise and the joy of life eternal. And we sang in, in the, his last days, we sang together one of his favorite hymns, It Is Well With My Soul. Jonah says to God, you hurled me into the deep. You hurled me. And some of you know what that's like. But, but here's the thing. It turns out way down there at the bottom is God. And where God is, there's peace. And where God is, it's good. That's the story of Jonah. That's why what looks like a tragedy ends up a comedy. And that's our life if we want it. The sign of Jonah. Jesus dies on the cross. What looks like the worst thing became the very, very best thing. And Jesus comes and he says, if you'll let me, I'll meet you at the cross. I'll meet you at the tomb. And I want to tell you something. The third day's coming. The third day's coming, folks. If you'll meet me, why don't we, we bow our heads together and just pray. Team, you want to come on up? Heavenly Father, we uh, 
surprise, surprise, we meet you at the lowest place. Wherever we go, there you are. Thank you that uh, you give us this, this character, Jonah, who didn't have it together, but, but shows us that, that when we're in the worst place, he shows us the sensible thing to do, which is to pray. And so this morning, wherever we are today, God, we pray, we call out to you, we ask, meet us in that place. We see, it, we see this on the cross, Lord, where you died in that place of execution and death, how you were up to something greater than we could possibly imagine. Thank you, God, so much. God, uh, this morning, there are people who are in over their heads right here in this room today. They're up to their necks. There, there are people who are carrying around crushing worries about their life, maybe about a relationship or, or about a, a son or a daughter who is in, in trouble or pain, about a regret, about a, a sin, about a fear, about guilt. Thank you, Lord, that we have a, a Savior who sacrificed himself for the forgiveness of our sins and that he now is our hope. Lord, we just believe together today that you are only ever just a prayer away. As we pray to you, hear our prayers. Meet us in these places we ask, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name, our great sign of Jonah. Amen.